Theater Week, Chapel Week, which is so exciting for us. And as you saw on Monday, we had Newsies. I hope you enjoyed that. Please get your tickets and see the show this weekend. Um, and then yesterday, I was speaking and I talked to you about how we were going to bring um, my pastor in from Grace Church in Roseville. So, Pastor Jason Stonehouse, if you'll join me. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> it is such an honor and a privilege to introduce him this morning. Um, I can't tell you what he has meant to me and my family and to our church. And I can't wait for you to hear what he has to share with you. And so in the tradition of other chapels, I'm going to pray over him, okay? Lord, we just thank you so much for Pastor Jason and what he wants to share with us today. Lord, I just pray that you speak through him. Lord, I just pray that we listening will have open minds and, and hear what you have to share with us today. And Lord, just bless our time here. In your name, amen. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. Um, it has been it's been my privilege. Our, our church is just about a mile or so away from here. And so uh, we've had a lot of Northwestern students with us uh, every single week. I know some of you are here today and I really I've been there 12 years. And so it's been really uh, a joy for me to I look at it this way. I look at it. I, I get to walk alongside a leg of your journey. Um, as the students are with us for often four years or three years or two years or whatever, but there's an opportunity to just walk a leg of the journey together and to see what God's going to do in the midst of that and to be a part of that. I just really find that uh, just meaningful in my own life. Um, but I want to tell you a little bit about me. I grew up uh, in high school. I was in the 1980s. And uh, in the 1980s, for those of you that haven't really studied a lot of history, um, long hair on guys was really cool back then. And we had all kinds of rock bands with lots of long hair. Um, and I tried as much as I could to be able to grow long hair, but my hair is curly. And so every time I would try to grow long hair, it would just kind of curl up in the back. And so I had this really mullet look going with just this big bush of hair in the back of my head. And so, um, I don't know if it was the hair or something else, but I had trouble getting girls to pay attention to me. Let's just put it that way. Um, and so after, when I was graduating high school, I was like, I'm going to college. And I, I went to a college out east in Philadelphia that's very similar to Northwestern. And, um, and so I was saying, this is my chance for a fresh start. I don't know if you've ever, you were here, some of you, when you came as a freshman, you're like, you know what? I was a total loser in high school, and I'm going to now convince all these people that I'm cool. Um, I don't know, but for me, that's what I was thinking. I was like, this is a total chance for me to have a fresh start and to go and reinvent myself. And so I thought, I know what I'm going to do. And this is, my mom and I got together and she said, what if we straighten your hair? You know, that could be just a great way. Totally knew you and I, you, you don't have to deal with the curls and all that. So I'm like, all right, this is a great idea. She said she had done it many times before. And so we got this chemical box thing and, uh, and like you wear this, this, head like you know hat deal um, and my mom's like we don't need to read the directions because she had done it many times before um, at least that's what she said so anyway so um, this thing's on my head and we didn't look at the time and it stayed on my head a lot longer than it was supposed to and so when she pulled the cap off of my head um, my hair was dry and limp and looked like pieces of hay sticking out all over, and I had chemical burns all on the top of my forehead, and it was the day before the first day of college for me. 
And so I was, and, and here's the thing, I, I, at, um, at our college, it was a Bible college, they didn't let guys wear hats to class. And so I had to, like, hey, here's me, chemical burn guy, uh, just walking into class. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where there's this kind of missing piece that you feel like is in your life. And, you know, once you get this thing, um, life's going to be so great. Or maybe you have this chance, like I did coming to college, to, to start over, to get it right, so to speak. Or to be like everybody else for once, and yet you end up, no matter how hard you try, you still end up standing out as a doofus with chemical burns on your head and hay straws poking out from your head. So um, often we do this to ourselves, though. Uh, we, have, we have enough insecurities and feelings of being inadequate, and then we just add stupid on top of that. And, uh, and I don't know if it's because of our insecurities, our inadequacies, but that's where we go. And so I, I don't know if you're willing to admit this today, but my guess is we all at times feel a little insecure. We feel like we're not measuring up. Uh, everybody else seems to be able to balance academics and extracurricular and hardly the person who hardly shows up at class, watches Netflix, never studies and still does great. We hate you. Um, or, you know, the, the, the woman who takes 18 credits actually has time to shower before class and she sends her parents a care package. Um, that's, you know, that person who just kind of seems like everything is together and you're thinking to yourself, I'm just trying to survive being 20. I'm just trying to survive. Or the people who seem to look good all the time. I personally hate you. Uh, no. <laughs> But, right? They just, like, doesn't matter what it takes. They just, they just look good all the time. And, and we feel oftentimes that we wonder, like, what am I missing? Why can't I keep up? Why does everybody else seem to be on track? And I can't even figure out what I'm supposed to do next. But what if there was a way for you and I to overcome our insecurities, to be able to, to live a life that matters? What if we could live our lives with confidence and humility and know that what we are putting our time into was really worth it? It really mattered going forward. Well, today I want to share with you a, um, a story, a true story from a guy in the Old Testament who is probably very familiar to all of us. And that is uh, Moses. And so if you brought a Bible, Exodus chapter three and four is where we're going to be mostly in Exodus chapter three. And before I read a portion of that for you, let me just bring you up to speed. So Moses, he was the guy that was in uh, the basket and uh, he got saved. He was all the, uh, he got saved from being killed. So they were killing all these Hebrew babies. Moses gets uh, freed from that or saved from that. He gets adopted by the Pharaoh, by the leader of Egypt. So he grows up, even though he was Hebrew, Jewish, he grows up um, in the Pharaoh's royal uh, area there. And, um, and so Moses is this good looking guy. He's got a high paying job. You know, he's the adopted son of Pharaoh. And then Moses has a really bad day, um, a really bad day because he comes to this point where he realizes, hey, I want to help my people, the Jewish people. They're all living as slaves. I want to be able to help them. And so he thinks this is maybe the best way to help him. But the Jewish people end up rejecting him. The Pharaoh dis disowns him, if you will, and he kills a guy. So it's really not a good day 
I mean, can you imagine that? You know, you, you go to work, everyone hates you, the boss fires you, and you kill a guy on the way out in the parking lot. It's just not a good day, right? So, um, so Moses is like, forget it, I'm done. He goes away, and he spends 40 years just working as a shepherd on the hillside, and, um, and God meets him there. And that's where we're going to pick the story up in Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned which I always find just kind of odd sometimes the way the Bible's written, because it's like, Moses sees the burning bush, and he says, I will turn aside and look at the bush now. There it is, right? You know, it's just, it's just such an interesting way of putting that. But when the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now, let me just pause for a little quick aside. Notice that God doesn't speak to Moses until Moses turns aside to pay attention to God. And I wonder sometimes if God has things that he's wanting to say to you and I, and we don't hear them, we don't understand them, we don't get clarity on them because we never turn aside. We're always running, we're always rushing to the next thing, we're always busy doing this, 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 oh, I gotta meet this person, I gotta do this thing. And we get so busy that we don't take the time to just stop and turn aside and listen, because God doesn't speak to Moses until Moses turns aside and has his attention. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground, wherever God is, is holy ground. Ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And so God establishes who he is at this point, and Moses can't even take it in. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard of their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So God's like, listen, I've been watching. I, I have the same pain that you're having, seeing your brothers and sisters, seeing your fellow Jews suffering as slaves. And God says, I want to do something about it. I've come down to be able to deal with that thing. And I want to bring them to a land, out of that land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, now watch this, this is really cool. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now watch what Moses says in response. Moses, but Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
But then God responds. He said, I will be with you, and you shall be the, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now what's interesting is Moses starts to show a little of his insecurity. He starts to show this sense of inadequacy that he feels. And he says, he says, God, who am I? Who am I that I should send? That you should send me? Who, who, well, I'm not sure that I'm the right guy, God. I, I think you, you know, I think an angel gave you poor directions or something, God, but I'm not the guy. And you begin to see his insecurity and his sense of feeling inadequate. Like, I don't, I don't have what you need for this. And I love how God responds to Moses' insecurities. Because God doesn't pamper him. God doesn't say, oh, it's okay, buckaroo. It's going to be fine. You're going to be great. You can do this. You, you, you got this. You just need to discover your inner tiger, Moses. God doesn't do that. You know how, did you see how God responded? So Moses is like, I'm not able to do this. I, send, I can't do this. But then Moses, then, then what God responds is, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. His response is not even about Moses. He says, Moses, I don't want to talk about your insecurity. You need to know that I'm with you. And that should be enough for you. So God shifts Moses' perspective from, to his character. In fact, look at verse 14. Oh, actually, let's start with 13. So it says, And Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? He, he, so now Moses is doing the what if. Well, what if this happens, God? And what if that happens? And what if she says this? And what if he says that? And what if this person asks this question? What am I going to say then? What, what, what if? Right? And we do this all the time, don't we? We ask, what if this happens? And we start to, we can what if ourselves to death. In fact, a focus on what ifs fuels our insecurity. It fuels our worry. And it hinders our trust in God. When you focus on what if, it's going to hinder your trust in God. And it's going to fuel up more and more insecurity in you. And so what God does is he shifts Moses' perspective once again. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's got to be cool to be God. You don't even have to finish sentences. Right? He says, I am. I am what? I'm God. I don't need to finish the sentence. That's what I am. Right? Like, I am. That's, and that's the name he often refers to himself throughout the Old Testament. I am. Like, God, that's all you need to know. It's I am. I am who I am. And he says, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I will be remembered throughout all generations. So what he's saying is, Moses, if you're struggling with how to explain who I am, I want you to talk about my character. I want you to talk about who I am. Because I am the God of your fathers, and your, your father's father, and your grandfather's father. He says, I have a track record, God is saying. I have been faithful all through these generations, to your family. I've been faithful to you. 
And because of that track record, Moses, I know you're trying to figure out, well, what if this happens and what if that happens and what if these things don't come the way that they should? Moses, that's not where your focus needs to be. Your focus is not, doesn't need to be on what you can pull off, Moses, or what you feel like you're supposed to be able to do. He says, no, I want you, Moses, to focus on me. I want you to focus on who it is who's calling you. I want you to focus on who it is who's going to be with you in the midst of this time. Focus on me. Look at my character. Look at my track record. So then Moses, let's jump down to chapter 4, verse 10. Look at this. Oh, Moses, he's so funny. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord responds to this, right? And, and look, at what, look, at what Moses, look at what the Lord says. The Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. So God is essentially saying, Moses, if you really want to talk about you, if you want to keep focusing on you and what you don't have and what you're not together with and all the things that are going to happen and could possibly happen, then God says, all right, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about you. Who made you? Who made your mouth? Who? So what God again is saying, Moses, this is not about you. See, this is what's, what's really interesting about um, insecurity and inadequacy is we often think it's we're deflecting, right? We often think, well, oh, I'm not good enough. And so we don't think, we don't think of it as a pride thing. But yet it, it really is because when I'm thinking about, oh, I can't do anything. I'm no good. When I go there, where's my focus? It's on me. It's on what I can or can't do. It's on what skills I have or don't have. And God says, that's the wrong place to put your focus. When I'm calling you to something, your focus needs to be clearly on me, the one who's calling you, the one who's going to be with you. So I want to give you three quick thoughts that might be helpful for you as you process through your own insecurities and your own inadequacies and your own sense of expectations that you put on yourself. And that is the first one is insecurity whispers, I'm not blank enough. What insecurity whispers is I'm not blank enough. So insecurity is going to be in your ears whispering, I'm not good looking enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not organized enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable enough. And insecurity will constantly be in your ear whispering all the things that you're not enough of. And you'll begin to feel like life is this big bowl of soup and you're a fork. You're like, how do I do this? What do I do? How do I get forward in this? How do I get in this new phase of life? Or what am I going to do after college? And uh, what about marriage? And what about family? And what about all of these different things? What does it mean to be single in the midst of this? See, insecurity often flows from a skewed perspective on yourself or on your past or on your circumstances. Let me say that again. Insecurity often flows from a skewed perspective on yourself or on your past or on your circumstances. So what I mean by this is that it's not that the, the, the facts are not true. Maybe you aren't capable of this. Maybe you did burn your head with chemicals trying to straighten your hair. Maybe, that is true, right? 
But that's not the whole story. So a skewed perspective is looking at something that's true, but making it something that actually isn't true because you put so much weight on it or you put so much emphasis on it or you make it a lot bigger thing than it really is. And when you do that, it, all it does is build up more insecurity because you focus so much on that that you miss it. So I talk for a living, right? I'm, I'm preaching and teaching and, and it's so amazing because I'll go and I'll preach for 35 or 40 minutes on a weekend and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll so fixate on the one thing I said wrong or the one email I got because I misspoke on something that I shouldn't have done, right? And, and that's where my focus is, why? Because what we do is we take that thing that we feel inadequate about or we feel insecure about and we blow it way out of proportion. And when you do that, this skewed perspective, what happens is it just raises higher and higher levels of insecurity in your life. I think that's what's going on for Moses. Is Moses like, hey, I tried this, God, and I ended up killing a guy. And all the people didn't want anything to do with me. You really want me to go back there, God? You really want me to, to try this again? I, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I, I have the ability to do that. And he he remembers from 40 years ago the mistakes that he made in his past. And it begins to take him down. Here's the second of three thoughts. Second one is that comparison breeds dissatisfaction. Comparison breeds dissatisfaction. Meaning when you and I compare ourselves to other people, all it does is breed in us a dissatisfaction with life. Now this is the other side of the coin of insecurity. Comparison. And when you compare, what you're doing is you, now you're focusing on other people's possessions, other people's appearances, other people's girlfriend or boyfriend, other people's performance, other people's circumstances. And you think, well, sure, if I had that, if I had that situation, if my parents were covering everything like theirs are, I could be fine. If I was dating that person, if I was a part of that thing, then yeah, things would be great for me, but, but that's not my situation. And so what happens is we compare ourselves to other people and we begin to be dissatisfied because we think if I had their whatever, my life would be great. Now, let me just tell you what comparison does. It, it has one of two things that comparison can do. It'll either make you prideful or resentful. Comparison will either make you prideful or resentful. What do I mean by that? Well, if you compare yourself to somebody else and you end up being better than them, better looking, have better skills, have better grades, whatever it might be, then you become prideful. Like, <laughs> at least I'm not like that loser. See, what happens is you become prideful because you look at that other person and then you start to look down on them. Or the other option is when you compare, you get resentful. You say, well, yeah, I, I could do it too if, the, if I had what they had. You begin to resent that person. Point is this. Comparison never produces anything good. Because we don't want to be prideful and we don't want to be resentful. So stay away from comparison because all it does is breed dissatisfaction. Now here's the really good news. Third and final point here. A God focus. A God focus brings big possibilities. A God focus brings big possibilities. Look with me at chapter 3. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
who, who am I? And he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? But God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me. See, what, what God is doing here is he's helping Moses to rethink his view on who he is. I was in um, Bible college, as I told you, and my freshman year, I guess I was 19 at the time, um, I remember we used to have these like little Bible studies in the in our dorms with some of the other guys And I remember having this moment as I listened to these other college students talk with me about their lives and the way they talked The way they thought about God and all of that and I, and immediately I, I came up with this statement that I've been saying for for every ever since and that is that our view of God determines how we live our view of God determines how we live so if, if you have a view or a perspective of God that is incorrect, then your way of living will be incorrect. So for example, if you grew up in a church or you grew up in a family where you really saw it was a very legalistic kind of a thing, where you were kind of told you have to do these certain things and not do these things, and you know this is, what, this is the way you should focus on your life, well then you will tend to think of God in a rule-based way. So you will have a hard time when people talk about loving God or when people talk about a relational aspect of God. In fact, when you sin, when you um, walk away from God or whatever, your focus is, what do I need to do? What steps do I need to take to get right with God? But it's not about a relationship that needs to get right. It's because your view of God is very top-down, is very rule-based, and so you're going to struggle in that particular way. If you have a different view of God, if you have a, a view of God that is, um, well, he kind of is, maybe you had parents who on, at church acted one way, around Christians acted one way, and then when they weren't in church or they weren't among Christians, they acted a totally different way. You're going to start to maybe view God as kind of like sometimes he's, he's really good and kind and other times he's not so good and kind. The point is, however you think about God, is going to determine the way you live your life. Again, if you're feeling like God is this rule person, you're going to walk around like, oh, shoot, I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to mess this up. If you view God as being this overly Santa Claus kind of figure that's like, oh, yeah, come on, everything's fine, right? And if you view God that way, then you're like, ah, it doesn't matter. I got, I got a credit card. God just forgives me. Grace is so easy and readily. I can just do whatever I want, live however I want, and God's just going to forgive me. And so what happens is you begin living that way because your view of God is skewed. It's wrong. But be, your view of God determines how you live your life. And so if your view of God is off in any way, shape, or form, you're going to miss out on what it means to really follow after God. Our view of God determines how we live. So in the Old Testament, God refers to himself by many different names. And so he says things, and I'm going to give you the English translation of a lot of these names, um, but he says things like, I am a healer, I am a sanctifier, I am righteousness, I am ever-present, I am a shepherd, I am a provider, I am a defender. These are the words that God uses to talk about himself in the Old Testament. 
Then Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and Jesus uses a whole different set of metaphors or word pictures to help us understand who he is. Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life to those who are hungry. I am the living water to those who are thirsty. I am the light to those who feel like they're in darkness. I am the door to those who need a fresh start. I am the good shepherd to those who feel abandoned. I am the way to those who feel lost. I am the truth to those who feel confused. And I am the life to those who are afraid of death. These are the pictures that Jesus refers to himself. And what God, I think, is trying to do to Moses, and I think what God is trying to do maybe for you and I today, is to not focus us so much on what we have or don't have, and whether we have an inner tiger that's ready to come out. But what God is doing is saying, I want you to focus on who I am. I want you to focus on who I am, what I'm like when I'm with you, who is the real God. Because when you're following after the real God, not your skewed picture of me, but the true living God, it makes all the difference. That's where your focus, that's where your attention needs to be. So if you've been kind of napping for the last 20 minutes, here's kind of the main thought. All right, here's the, we call it in our church, the big idea, the bumper sticker, if you will. Here it is. Shift your focus from who you're not to who God is. Shift your focus from who you're not to who God is. Because the reality is, every one of us walks in here thinking about some of our deficiencies. Maybe we carry with us some worries and concerns. Maybe we, we come in here with insecurities, inadequacies that nobody else sees. Maybe they're things that only we know, or maybe somebody really close to us knows that we feel this way. But the reality is we carry it all the time, and it produces in us anxiety, produces in us stress. We, we live under this weight of, oh, I'm supposed to be more like this, I'm supposed to be more like that. And we carry all of this. And, and the world's answer to that is a section that is the largest section in Barnes & Noble. It's called the self-help section, right? And the world's answer to our insecurities and our inadequacies is you need to man up. You need a woman up. You need to be able to, to pull yourself together and you need to believe in you. And you need to have confidence to go forward. That is not God's answer. Now, self-help books and some of that stuff can be helpful. They can give you some, some things to think about, but they're not going to be sustainable. It's not gonna be a long-lasting change in your life. The long-lasting change is to focus on who God is, not on who you are or who you're not. Be real with God. Start by sharing who you are right now and then leaving, learning and leaving with who you are in Christ, who you are in Christ, because it's our dependence on God that produces his movement. Some of you, God wants to do something in your life right now, but you're trying so hard to man up or woman up. You're trying so hard to pull it together yourself that God is like, fine, I'm going to be a gentleman and I'm not going to push my love on you. But if we would just come in a humility and say, God, I don't have it together. I don't have what I need. I need you. I want to focus more not on who I am not, but on who you are. And see, when Jesus came, when Jesus died on a cross for our sins, our inadequacies, our struggles, our fears, our brokenness, and Jesus paid for it all. And it says that anyone who, is, who puts their faith in Jesus becomes, they are in Christ. 
meaning your identity is no longer in what you can do or not do. Your identity is no longer in how good your grades are or who you're dating or what family you came from. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is taking on the, the image of Jesus in you. And it's our dependence on God that's going to produce his movement in our life going forward. So the focus needs to shift from who I'm not to who he is and who I am in him. The fact that I'm in Christ, I now have all of the things that he has. I have become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I have new potential that, that I didn't have before knowing Jesus. So focus on who you are in him. Focus on who he is and what he's inviting you into. Because there's a bigger life waiting. I want to finish the story on Moses. Look at verse 13 of chapter 4. This is how Moses ends the whole deal. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. That's what he says. And I'm wondering today, if God came, comes to you and wants to speak to you, is your answer, Lord, please send someone else? Or is your answer to say, God, I am with you. And even though I may not feel like I have what I need, I'm going to trust you going forward. I'm not, it's not about who I am. It's about who he is. Let me have a word of prayer with you. Jesus, we come before you and um, God, even as I speak to all of these students and faculty, Lord, I know that I don't know where everyone's at. I don't know what struggles and securities or fears that we're all dealing with. But God, I know that you are enough. You are more than enough. And so, Lord, I pray that we would learn to be able to shift our focus away from who we're, who we're not and all the things that make us insecure and all the parts of us that, that we just tend to put so much emphasis on and so much focus on and shift it, Lord, to who you are, to your character, to your track record, to your faithfulness. Lord, that we might truly love you and that we might truly live in Christ like you've called us to be about. And so, Lord, we thank you for all of these things, and we look forward to what you're going to do in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.